thank you for joining me today. Would you both like to introduce yourselves and what you do in your research? Hi, my name is Nina Morena. I'm a PhD candidate in communication studies at McGill University, and my research is about the social media practices of young people with metastatic breast cancer. And I'm Ari Megardichan. I'm a surgical oncologist at the McGill University Health Center and the research center director at St. Mary's Hospital. Uh, I'm a breast specialized uh, uh, surgical oncologist and a health services researcher looking at how we can optimize the quality of care for cancer patients. Incredible. Thank you both so much again for your time today and for your research. I'm really excited to talk to you guys about it and learn more and share with our audience. So first question I had for you guys was, could you give us an overview of your study and what you found? Definitely. So this project is about uh, YouTube videos about post-mastectomy breast reconstruction or PMBR. Um, and our goals with this project were to evaluate the uh, information quality of the videos and then to collect themes that come up in the videos. Um, so overall, we found that videos were fairly understandable, um, but that they were of low information quality. And we also found that videos were very highly sponsored, um, mostly by institutions, and that there was a very wide range of themes being discussed in them. The importance of this study is uh, really connected of the context in which we're working. Uh, when you're in the clinics, when you're talking to patients, when you're talking to them, you know that they're interacting with social media, with YouTube, et cetera, et cetera. And yet there's very little knowledge on how that works, on the accuracy of information, on what YouTube does provide them, and whether that's safe or not safe. So this project contributing to our understanding uh, uh, in that area. And it also helps us craft discussions on themes that are important to patients, obviously, because they're consuming these videos, but tend to be neglected in the more traditional standard clinical interaction. What's unique about it here is that while it might be a bit easier to take a decision for surgery for the patient because their life depends on it, the reconstruction part, uh, because you don't necessarily need a reconstruction to survive, to live through cancer, it becomes even more important to get a better understanding of what are the factors that influence patient decisions when the immediate threat of the death is not there. Next question I had for you guys was, what was the genesis of the study and what inspired you both to conduct the study in the first place? This is a great question. So I've always been really interested in the effect that social media can have on people's decisions and specifically healthcare decisions. Um, and I think that for this project in particular, like looking at YouTube, um, there's such an emphasis on the visual and on storytelling. And so I thought that especially looking at um, mastectomy where, you know, there's often these like sort of before and after, um, or there's always this like visual progress or proof of the surgery. And so so uh, YouTube just felt naturally like that's where we would find this. Um, and I also think that just the format, the storytelling, um, so many of the videos we saw were sort of patient testimonials. And so it really just made sense that that's where it would happen. Um, and yeah, we're really excited about it. I uh, I immediately bought in when when Nina proposed that we looked at we look at this because it is now the reality, as I was explaining a little earlier, of our clinical encounters with patients. It's a three-way discussion with the patient 
and with the social media that they're consulting, because also we see uh, the impact of potentially harmful decisions they're taking. And uh, whether you like it or not, these platforms, these, these media are here to stay. So it's important for us to acknowledge that and acquire knowledge about it instead of living in denial. Definitely. So kind of piggybacking off what you were starting to mention, would you would you say that these videos are overall harmful or potentially helpful for patients? I think it's not a black and white, clear cut equation. And uh, uh, there's this uh, an entire you know, array of grades where on the positive side, and I'll let Nina explain this more because it's something that she's been working on our PhD thesis, this notion of community and- uh... Right, right. So I think that exactly, it's not necessarily that they're helpful or, or harmful, um, but it's that there are aspects of them that are helpful and then potentially harmful, depending on how you look at it. So um, oftentimes the more positive or helpful aspects are a sense of community, um, a sense of connection with other people. It could be really therapeutic to watch or to just like see that there's people like you out there. Um, and in that sense, they're definitely helpful. Um, and I would say that they can become harmful when um, they might uh, push you to make a certain decision that is not fully informed. So I think approaching videos with the sense that, you know, this is made for a certain audience and that might not necessarily be me. So um, taking it too seriously is where it could potentially become harmful. Um, but that's also paired with um, media literacy at the same time. So having a sense of where this is coming from and who it's meant for. For me as a clinician, the added educational value, I would say, is to realize that um, in order to achieve the patient's need for understandability, I have to modulate and adapt how I speak and what I say to my patients because the alternative, which may potentially be harmful, is very clear, very easily understandable, number one. Number two, as I mentioned, the themes, when you're in a clinical encounter with a patient, you go through a list of topics, but learning about these YouTube videos teaches us that there's a whole nother list of topics of things that are important to patients. So it, I think being aware of these things makes you a better clinician. That's, that's why it's important to look at these uh, from a scientific approach. Next question I have for you guys kind of stays in the realm of um, what we were just talking about. Like what can clinicians do to better inform and educate their patients about PMBR to prevent potentially viewing biased or toxic YouTube videos or creating those uninformed opinions um, that you mentioned earlier? I can start and then I think yeah. you might want to add. Um, so I think that it comes with sort of acknowledging that patients are looking at this information, whether you suggest that they should or not, um, it's always going to be there. And I also think that there's, um, back to sort of media literacy, learning to recognize sponsorships or ads or when something is clearly a promotion. And like I say clearly, but it might not be clear. So learning to recognize that. Um, I think just even the knowledge that, you know, something is paid for by a particular company is really useful. Um, and so, um, yeah, I think I would stop there. I'll add on, on, on the point that uh, uh, the education piece will be very important. These are not going to go away. Social media, YouTube, these platforms, they're not going away. So there's no point in playing the ostrich. Uh, perhaps the best thing to do is to... Uh, create simple, easy to use tools 
so that patients can rapidly assess if what they're viewing is of good quality or if it's of poor quality and uh, potentially harmful for them. Uh, and uh, for us on the clinical side is to be aware of uh, uh, what's going on, to be aware of what are the needs, what are the gaps that these YouTube videos are potentially addressing, coming back to the themes that tend to be underexplored during the clinic visits and coming back also to this notion of making it understandable. And definitely to just asking patients what they've been reading mm -hmm. um, and bringing it into the conversation and being open-minded about it too. And just having it as part of everything and not something that the patient feels like they shouldn't bring up. Absolutely. I mean, I, I say this, uh, I've said this before, Nina has heard me. Since Nina has started working on this, I've changed the way I interact with my patients. I very openly say, so what did Google tell you? What did YouTube tell you? What did you find out on Facebook uh, about breast cancer? Let's talk about it. Uh, I think it's, it provides for a much more informed conversation when you open up with that. Definitely. That's so incredible to hear how even your own research has affected you guys. So in your practice, so that's really awesome. Is there anything current right now, like resources that your patients could use to become better informed of the whole process of PMBR and to create their own opinion that you would recommend? So I wouldn't be well positioned to name a particular resource, but what I would suggest is always starting with um, the hospital and seeing what they have been recommending and going from that point. I think most integrated cancer centers now have nurse navigators, information specialists to accompany the patient. That being said, I think we also have to be realistic. By the time they come to us for that first consultation, They've already been on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. So the good and the bad have already taken place in terms of being exposed to what's out there. So after that is how do you support them in becoming autonomous and assessing what's good or not? How do you put in place the structures so there's a reference person or reference resource when they need to check validate information? But these interactions in the real world with these platforms have has already have already happened by the time they come to us for that initial consultation. Final question that I have for you is um, throughout this study um, and everything you learned, do you now have a plan for future research in this study or expanding into other areas to study kind of the social media effects in healthcare overall? Yes. Um, so I can talk about some recent work and then future plans. So we have a paper that just came out about a month ago um, that was about reviews on RateMDs, specifically for medical oncologists. And in that project, we were looking at um, whether patients were reviewing things that were actually physician standard competencies. Um, and we found that they were, and it was mainly qualities and positions that were patient facing. So um, compassion, uh, levels of knowledge. And that we have another project that was also a YouTube study. And that study was looking specifically at the experiences of young people with metastatic breast cancer. Um, and in that study, we found that um, similar to this one, the understandability was pretty high, um, but that the information quality was relatively low. 
Um, and that also goes into my overall PhD topic, um, which is social media in stage four breast cancer. Um, and that one is obviously not done yet, <laughs> um, but it's going to be looking at their overall information practices, practices, um, online literacies and such. Mm -hmm. I think uh, in, in the continuation of all that's described by Nina, the areas where I'm going to be expanding have to do with distinct populations. First, the younger cancer patients that are born with an iPhone in their hand. So they are very digitally connected. And secondly, populations that could be described as vulnerable uh, because of, for example, their immigrant status, uh, linguistic, ethnic, religious minorities that may tend that, that tend to be underserved or somewhat excluded from mainstream care that may not have access readily to quality information and that rely heavily on these platforms. Uh, so what's going on there and how does that impact the quality and the experience of care? So those are two populations that are, in my opinion, very interesting to look at and uh, that we're gonna be branching out in. Those all sound like incredible topics that I think people need to listen to and understand. So we are really excited to hear um, more about your research and hopefully follow up with you in the future. And that was all the questions I had for you guys today. At this moment, I would like if you wanted to add on any extra information or anything you would just like to speak on. Is there anything? No, I think we've addressed the issues that are important. It's just important to be sensitive and realize the fact that when you're talking to your, to your patient, they've already had this so-called conversation with what's out there. So it's in fact a triangular right. type of conversation. So we're just trying to put the signs around that. Definitely. Yeah. And thank you guys again, both for your research and your passion on this topic. And again, thank you for your time today. Thank you so much. All right, thank great. you. Bye. Bye.